0: Let me read Ephesians 1 15 to 23. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the workings of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, we're gonna spend our time this morning uh, focused primarily on verses uh, 15 through 20 of this text. And, And what we're seeing here in the first few verses, 15 to 17, the apostle Paul is laying out Uh, basically two things that that he's hoping for, the the Christians in Ephesus and really the Christians everywhere because this is written maybe not directly to us, but it's written for us uh, as well. And what Paul wants uh, these people and all of us as Christians to know is one, why Paul is thankful for them, which is because of their faith in Jesus and the love they have for one another. Uh, And secondly, he tells them, here in the first three verses, what he wants them to know uh, about uh, their faith because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Now, the word to know or the knowledge that he he uses the word knowledge here uh, in the end of verse 17, he's asking that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, the knowledge of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that word knowledge is more than just intellectual head knowledge. It's not just about understanding certain things about a subject. The meaning of the word here is is one of firsthand personal experience. To know something, not just in, in your mind, but to know it because you've lived it and understood it through lived experience. It's its kind of like the difference between watching a documentary about World War II and and then talking to someone who actually fought in that war. You do get a very different sense of what was happening when you don't just look at the intellectual realities of what's happening, but you actually hear someone's experience of it, the, the personal living that they had through it, right? And that's just one example of many examples of things that we can know about but not really know in a, on a personal level. And what Paul is saying here is that he wants us to know through the revelation of the Holy Spirit some, some true, amazing things that will change our lives because of Jesus. And so in this passage from verses 18 to 19, he's going to list those out for us. He's going to tell us those things that he wants us to to know, again, not just know in our heads, but know in our hearts, to know them by experience. And it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that these things can be known by us and experienced in our lives. So let's look at the three of them quickly here. Let's look at verse 18, the first half of verse 18. It says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know What is the hope to which he has called you? The hope to which he has called you. The first thing that the Apostle Paul wants us to know experientially in our lives on a personal level is hope. And the reality is, is that we can, because of Jesus's resurrection from the dead, we can know hope in a real way. Now, that word hope is is something we need to unpack a little bit because the word hope is so often used in a way uh, that isn't really the the idea that Paul's trying to get across here. The Bible has a different understanding of hope than how we tend to use the word. We think of the English word hope as something that we're kind of doubtful of, or we're not certain about, and and we're just hoping for something else to happen. Like, I hope it doesn't snow on Easter, which is always a hope we have here in the Northwoods. Uh, But it didn't this year. I mean It did yesterday or the day before, but not, not today. So awesome, we're, we're good. But hope is not like that. That's not the kind of hope that Paul's talking about. Hope in the Bible is a total and complete confidence in who God is and what he has accomplished for us in bringing about our eternal good. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is in fact the very thing that leads us to a hope Filled confidence in God. It it is actually the one thing that can be the steady ground we stand on, the one thing that we can use as an anchor in the storms to hold us steady when all the other things in the world shift and change, right? We live in, in uncertain times. We live in tumultuous tumultuous political climates at times. We live in in times when nations can rise and fall. We live at times where war is on the brink or in in action. We, We understand how unsteady so much of the world is around us. And yet it is the solid rock of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, that gives us hope that no matter what happens to us, no matter what occurs in this world, no matter what personal sufferings we endure, we can carry on and make it to the very end and know that God will secure his purposes ultimately for us. Paul hits on this point in in 1 Corinthians 15, which is uh, probably the, the longest chapter that unpacks the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if you want to look at verses 12 to 16 or listen as I read them, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, let me get there. There it is. Uh, Here's what he goes on to say. This is after he has explained that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and that this is the, the anchor of our faith. It's the centerpiece. And then he goes on to say in verse 12 through 26, I'll read it. He says, now if Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, I'll keep reading in just a moment, but let's unpack what he's saying here. There, there was evidently a, a faction or a group in, in the Corinthian church that did not believe that there was an eternal life for those who have died, which is pretty crazy because Jesus clearly teaches that there is eternal life in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. That is very basic Christianity. And so somehow, somewhere along the way, these Christians in Corinth got off base and they were believing that, that the dead were just dead. They were annihilated or they were gone or what, there was no future hope for them. What an abysmal way to live life. Right? What a depressing way to go through life to believe that all that there is is this, this you know, body of, of flesh that we have and then it's dead and it's gone and doesn't continue to live. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ teaches us that there is life for us as well as for him after death because Christ went through death and is alive. That's where verse 20 takes us. Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that phrase fallen asleep is how Paul refers to those who have died uh, because their souls uh, uh, are still alive. Their bodies are asleep in the grave, but their souls are with Jesus and will be re- we will all be reunited with our bodies at the return of Christ. But, but that's true because Christ is the first fruit, the first crop of those who have come through death and come alive again. He says, For as by a man came death, and by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruit, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, this is an amazing passage, right? This, is, this passage is showing us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the hope that we have, not only of an eternal life, which is amazing in and of itself, but that the, but the very end of death itself one day, that our greatest enemy is death, and yet Christ has destroyed it through his death and resurrection. and that when that one day that will come to fruition fully and finally at his return. But this is pointing us to the eternal hope not just the earthly temporary hope, because if we only have hope in this life, then we are to be the most pitied people, is what Paul says. We don't just have hope that this life will be all wonderful sunshine, rainbows, unicorns, nonsense, right? That's not the world we live in, but, but we do have an eternal hope that we cling to and walk through this life holding onto because Jesus is raised from the dead. So the first thing Paul wants us to know, the first thing the Bible wants us to know, what God ultimately wants us to know is the hope to which God has called you. This eternal hope, this eternal life that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the second one that Paul mentions here. It's the end of verse 18. He says, the hope to which he has called you. And then he says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The second thing Paul wants us to know are what the riches of our inheritance are. That we can experience God's uh, security, the inheritance he has secured for us because of the resurrection of the dead. I think this idea of an inheritance is sometimes uh, lost on us because we don't really live in the same kind of culture or whatever that Paul was writing to. and um, But we all understand what an inheritance is, I think. It's, it's the, that those, those pieces of property or that money that is left behind as a loved one passes on. The things that we can't take with us are left, hopefully, for our children, right? Ideally, um, that would be wh- where the inheritance would go. If we have children, it would go to them. If we don't have children, uh, it would pass on to somebody uh preferably the, the closest relative and not the government, right? But you never know what happens, I guess. And once you're gone, it doesn't matter to you anyways. Uh, but this uh, this idea of an inheritance is is what Paul is reminding us of that we actually have the security of not just will we get anything or will we not, but we have an absolute sure uh guarantee that we will have all the riches that belong to God through Jesus Christ. This is better, this is better than you waking up one day, getting the notification that some great, great, great aunt in Europe had a baroness or something behind her name and she left you a whole fortune. As amazing as that would be, right, to wake up to that and go, wow, I had some aunt that, was apparently something and and I'm the closest relative, We hear those stories from time to time as ridiculous as they are. They're never gonna happen to any of us. But if it did, that'd be amazing. But it'd be even more amazing, it is even more amazing to know that we have the sure guarantee of an inheritance in Jesus Christ. Here's the crucial point. Everything that God has, which is everything, belongs to us because of Jesus Christ, because he has adopted us into his family. We are children of God and the children are the ones who get the inheritance and we as God's children will gain an inheritance eternally. Now that inheritance is not the guarantee of your wealth right now, It is not the guarantee that you will have all the material blessings or all the physical health that you could want. There are people who who will teach that message. That is not the idea of the inheritance we have in Christ. He is talking, Paul here is talking about the eternal riches, the, the eternal reward that we will have, which ultimately, above anything else, is Jesus Christ himself. That we will have Christ, that we will be with him that we will be in perfect relationship with him. And I, and I do, I know the scriptures teach that we will throw all these crowns at his feet because the point is not the, the wealth. The point is not that we will have all these things. The point is that we get to be with Jesus. But this spiritual inheritance is ours. This is why Jesus says, In the Beatitudes, in his Sermon on the Mount, he says that the meek will inherit the earth. That is through Jesus, the meek, the humble, those who have come to Christ through humility and acknowledgement of our sins, we will actually one day inherit all that God has. We will have a physical home to live in as Christ establishes his kingdom here. We will have a remade earth The Bible teaches us that we're not gonna die and just go into some ethereal, spiritual space. That is a temporary place where our souls will await his return if we die before his return. But ultimately, the the secure end of a Christian is a new earth, a remade earth, a better earth without sin, a a, a reordering of the world again in which we will get to dwell with God forever forever. On this earth and possess it all through him. There is nothing that God is holding back from us because of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus tells us that we, we need to keep our minds on this truth, but not pivot our minds purely to the material, to the physical, to the monetary. He tells us in the Sermon on the Mount do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. The idea here is this, that everything we have on earth can be lost. It can be destroyed or it can be stolen, but not the treasures that we can secure in heaven through Jesus that he gives us. This glorious inheritance, this amazing riches of the riches of his glorious inheritance is what he says. This is amazing language, and this is what we have in store for us. We we don't need to depend on our material blessings, because those things will come and go. One of the shows I'm watching right now on Hulu is Hoarders. I, I love hoarders. <laughs> You, because um, of, of Mike, right here, man. Yeah, You're going to be on hoarders someday, someday, man. Not because you're a hoarder. Not because you're a hoarder. I, <laughs> I didn't mean that, bro. I didn't mean it that way. I am so sorry. I feel like I need to explain myself. You can ask me after. Ask Mike. He'll, he'll defend himself. Sorry, bro. Didn't mean it that way. He was actually filmed on the show. Okay, anyways. Yes. He was helping. He was, yes, there it is. He was helping the hoarders. Okay. <laughs> Whew. Wow. I, this, all, this all train wrecked real quick. All right. I was trying to make a point here about the hoarder show. All right. The hoarders, they have all these treasures, right? These treasures. It's mostly trash. But, but what they do is they just throw it all into these piles and then they start getting through the piles. And at the bottom of the pile, everything's destroyed, right? And yet they won't throw away this thing that's got all kinds of garbage on it, mold, disgusting, broken down. And yet they are so clinging to these things because they have mental disorders, right? Because this is a, this is a problem. This is something they need to be healed from. But it is, it is an amazing thing that they are just going to cling to the nastiest of stuff. But that's Jesus' point, that all, the, all of our stuff, anything that we try to hoard, anything that we try to hold on to, whatever it is, It is going to ultimately be destroyed because it's not eternal. Christ and his reward is eternal. All right, that one got way off the rails here. So let's move move into the third third section here, the third uh, thing that we should know. Verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated, a, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So, the, the thing that we're told that we can experience in this life, we can have hope, we can know the inheritance that we have in Jesus. And the third thing is this that we can experience God's power to save. God's power to work in our lives, to save us from our sin. The immeasurable greatness of his power is what Paul says. This power is not measurable. It is not weak. It is great. And this power is at work in us through Christ, whom he raised from the dead. The power that Paul is referring to, I think is actually two things. It is the power to save and it is the power to change us. It is the power to make us alive in Jesus Christ, to take us out of spiritual death, give us a resurrection of our own, and, and then to make us the kind of people that he wants us to be. And it, this, he starts this work in us at salvation, and he begins to mature us through the course of our lives. This is where the Apostle Paul goes in chapter 2. Right after these verses, he talks about being our being dead in our sins. But because of God's great mercy and his great love, he has made us alive in Christ. He took us out of death and sin and gave us life in Christ. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And he tells us that all of this was done by grace. Grace is undeserved favor from God. It is not earned. It is not deserved. It is is given freely by him. All we have to do to receive this grace is to believe, to trust. This is where Paul says at the end of, or in verse eight through 10, he says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Faith is belief. It's putting trust in Jesus. And this is not your own doing, it is the re- it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These verses are telling us two things, that God has the power through Jesus's resurrection to make us alive, to save us, to bring us into his family and to change us, to give us good works that he prepares beforehand for us. We get to remember that this is not our own power that saves us, it is the power of Jesus Christ. No power we try to extend to save ourselves will will work. It is only Jesus who can save us. And it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we are saved. It says the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This work that he gives us to those who believe, to those who trust in Christ, he has given us his power to be saved and freed from all of our sin. I think the verse or the passage that gets us there the best is Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. I'm going to close our time with reading these words and then we'll sing again together in response. Romans 6, 5 to 11 says this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You hear what Paul's saying in these words. He's telling us that we died with Jesus. When he died on that cross, he took our sin upon himself and We're not just united to Jesus in his death, though. We're united to Jesus in his life. His his resurrection is our resurrection. And because of it, we have been set free from sin. We died to sin. We're alive now in Jesus Christ. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope. We have an eternal security and inheritance with him. We have God's power at work in us to save us and to change us. And that is the best news of all. That's what we get to celebrate as we worship Jesus alive today. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us to the point of death, even death on a cross. We thank you, Jesus, that you have have gone through our death, that you united us to yourself, and that you have been raised from the dead, securing us an eternity and a hope. I pray, God, that you would help us now to respond with our voices, respond with our singing, respond with joy in our hearts for what you have accomplished for us. And we pray that we would remember all that you've done this day. In Jesus' name, amen.